3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people will make friends. I'm just trying to not lose you a lot of money. My job is not just, just to entertain, but to put this one in context because it's getting nasty out there. Call me 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. We're witnessing one of the worst shakeouts I've seen of late. With the Dow sinking in over 308 points today, S&P plunging 1.1%, NASDAQ plunging 1.12%. <laughs> Lots of stocks are getting hurt, but just like the last of the first five or six months of the year, it's really anything speculative that is right in the middle of the blast radius. Well, we're going to break form here. We're going to start with crypto. Yeah, I usually don't do that. You should go to the stock market, right? Crypto. Why? Because I'm beginning to think that these are Seinfeld assets. They're about nothing. The other day, David Faber and I interviewed Gary Gensler, chairman of the SEC. He was on to announce a deal with China where their companies would finally play by our accounting rules. Maybe that's the first step to making some of the newer Chinese stocks that trade here into something more than a worthless parlor game. Near the end, I asked him if, he had a, a look at all the new crypto coins trading on, on some of these exchanges. He was circumspect. So I went one step further and I asked, well, what would happen if my colleague, partner, buddy, pal, friend David and I created a coin, took a lot of it down, and then listed to classic front-run pump and dump? He suggested that we would need, well, let's say, uh, good lawyers. Now, uh, one outfit that I'm not, I not—I don't mean to pick one. Coinbase, they have more than 200 tradable coins. I'm not exaggerating when I say they seem to be changing by the hour. From the looks of things, I think a lot of people in the crypto ecosystem better hire very good lawyers. Some of these smaller coins, well, they do seem to lack the gravitas of, say, Wabistics. Yeah, that legendary boiler room pump-and-dump shop that occupied a couple of episodes of The Sopranos. But now the big ones, Bitcoin and Ethereum, are cascading. I'm beginning to wonder whether one day, sometime soon, we won't even need to have these quoted on the side of the television screen anymore. Won't need, or maybe shouldn't. I think it's time we start questioning the fundamentals of crypto. And I don't like when we question the dot-com movement in 2000-2001. When all things crypto took off with great fanfare, like the dot-com bombs, we were told that they were stores of value, that they meant something, that they would be around for a long time. I believe that, rap. 300 of them went out of business. I'm at least big enough to admit that this time I was wrong about crypto. I wish the real promoters would do the same. Just because you make money in it, which I was fortunate enough to do, doesn't necessarily mean that it's for real. And then there was this period where every athlete and celebrity were showing up on these crypto ads, a brooding Joel Embiid, a hilarious time-traveling Matt Damon, a young as ever Tom Brady, LeBron James going to the league, Reese Witherspoon, who's a genius, and even Gwyneth Paltrow, who, who's above everything, but still didn't go to her cousin Rebecca's wedding. Oh, yeah. And Aaron Rodgers took some of his salary in Bitcoin. Does anyone like that guy? I hope A.J. Dillon and Romeo Dubes click with him. They're two of my uh, Twitter guys. FTs on the ski daddies there because I don't know anybody else who does. Now, everybody who's promoted this stuff is looking pretty funny. And the public companies that jumped on crypto as an actual currency seem to have wasted a lot of time and money. In in the pain parade, I start with crypto because I think that there was a huge amount of capital being used to prop up Bitcoin at 20,000. And the fingers in the dike are now looking mighty tired. Now, again, every one of the public companies are involved. I don't blame them. There was a lot of public demand. That's what they wanted. They're just doing what the public wants. But maybe the public needs to know better. That's what I'm trying to do. Not criticize the companies, but just make it so that you know better. Next up, there are heat-seeking missiles coming after the SPACs and the recent IPOs because so many of them are, yes, running out of money. I have to hand it to Lucid, the car company, which came out and said they're looking to raise $8 billion not-too-distant future. Stock got slammed today, but if you want to beat Tesla at their own game, I guess you might as well borrow like Tesla used to borrow. Plus, fortune favors the bold. Uh, who, are taking, uh, who are the first to take the public's hard-earned dollars. Uh, there may be nothing left if you don't move now. What can I say about Lucid? They did deliver more than 1,000 cars in the first half. I mean, that's a lot per day when you think about it. You do the, do the math, 1,000. Well, yeah, you know, but that's more than 125 they delivered last year. Where you, that's arithmetic when you get that low. I guess you've got to start somewhere. Of course, Lucent got crushed today, and we're seeing something uh, similar happen Though a lot of the flotsam and debtsam securities. You know, I was just throwing something in the air. I was thinking, like, Rent the Runway. I'm looking at some of the Rent the Runners the runway here. Uh, the figs. Figs, yeah. Like, Newton. No. Stitch Fix. Oh, well, yeah. Old birds Warby Parker. Weber. Traeger. Symbol Cook. Yeah, there are too many to name. As for the SPACs, I can't really mention them on air because this is a family show, and I might say something I shouldn't. I expected these stocks to get obliterated at the end of the year, not this fast. It's incredible that these deals were allowed to happen. If stocks were vacuum cleaners, these SPAC names and recent IPOs would have been recalled and you get their money back. You should be getting it back. But caveat emptor is the only rule in the used SPAC lot. What else? Yesterday, we saw a bunch of oil stocks. Uh, We sold them for the Chapel Trust. and I I like oil. Don't get me wrong. As I explained last night, that oil rally was too good to be true. We didn't stress about whether oil was going up because of Iran or Russia or Europe. We just fell back on our discipline, which is what we're urging you to do. The discipline says the bulls make money, bears make money. But hogs? Today, the oil entered the slaughterhouse and came out as a combination of real bad hot dogs and shredded chuck. More pain ahead because these can now be knocked over by a feather. How is that possible? Well, the pattern here is that after these big declines in crude, analysts then go negative because the oil stocks are, In the end of the day, commodity plays. When the commodity turns down, they're often one-way tickets to a real bad Upton Sinclair novel that does not hold up. I expect the slew of downgrades just tomorrow. Then there's tech. Now, this hurt. This morning, Citigroup put out a piece saying that the semis might have another 25% decline off their already miserable existences. In an OK market, that call would have been ignored or yawned at in this market, it became an inexorable roadmap. Doesn't help that the Taiwanese are shooting at Chinese drones, trying to retaliate, so that could mess up the whole tech supply chain. Beyond hardware, the software is a gut punch stocks keep seeing, yeah, that's like software as a service, software as a gut punch. Even the ones that are profitable are getting hit now. Now, unlike all the other securities I've mentioned, I think many of these will eventually bounce back as long as they make money. Oh, by the the oils that pay good dividends will also bounce back. You just need to leg into both. A- a- right into the pure panic. Getting it. there. Should I even mention retail, you wanted some coal sold to you. Walmart's back to where it was when it reported that so-called blowout quarter. At least Best Buy's holding up. I am letting the memesters gamble on Bed Bath & Beyond because that's just a giant roulette table. Although if it were me, I'd put my money on double zero. I think it's a better investment. I often think that Bed Bath sounds like a, I don't know, like a, a horse that came up lame. So where do all these selling avalanches put us? Look, Fed Chief Jay pal told us that we need to stop doing stupid things with our money. That was the real thrust of his speech on Friday. He's going to bring the pain until it puts an end to the gambling. Of course, he'll also hurt some good investments in the process, not just the chits at the dog track. But we can't. That's, that's a crypto dog track like used to be the Wonderland Zion kennels that total winners. But we won't see the end of this decline until we get a a giant washout of all things that are speculative that don't make money. This is what it looks like when the Fed gets serious. This is the charnel house. What matters is that we just have to get through it intact. Don't get mean. Don't get spacked and don't get cryptoed, And you'll get through this thicket and find yourself in a much better time when we are sufficiently oversold for a huge bounce. Something has happened. We're getting very close to if you follow the oscillator that I do. Bottom line, and this is really important. I need you to stay the heck away from unprofitable junk. Profitable is fine. Oil fine. Profitable oil, profitable tech is fine. I need you to stay away from the sold-out SPACs, the ridiculous IPOs, and get ready. Dogecoin, Polkadot, Dai, Polygon, Shiba, Avalanche, Uniswap, Cosmos, Golem, Old Golem, Optimism, Kyber, Tribe Request, Rally, my neighbor Alice, <laughs> League of Kingdoms, and a couple of other really solid investments that I can get you as long as you like blockchain. There's no point to any of this stuff beyond separating you from your money. You know what? I want you to keep your money. Please stay away from this stuff. I mean it. Now, I gotta take some questions because that's the nature of the show. But tonight I'm really trying to say please stop it with the, my friend Alice. What was it, the one? Sheba Alice. Oh, and really, if you really want to know what I don't like, I don't like old Golem, and I don't like new Golem. Okay, let's go to Ed in Iowa. Ed,
1: well, hello, Mad Jim. How are you? I'm good. How about you? I'm I'm great. I'm Ed from Marion, Iowa, and I just watched a segment on
2: Fast Money about the chip shortage affecting Ford, which is right, right along the line I want to talk to you about. So I'm wondering why. Microchip manufacturer stocks are dropping when there's such a demand for them. An okay, and that's a ver- is there's a
3: very Taiwan, issue- Taiwan, Taiwan, se- Taiwan Semiconductor, which is down 51 okay, and- percent over the last month, 12 months. Should right, this should be is a royal- great question. rolling. This is a quandary to a lot of people, and let me tell you, here's the reason: you never really made that much money on that stuff, and they could never raise the price anyway because the market couldn't afford it. That's why Taiwan semis never n- are not a good stock. You got to be in the really what's known as high-performance computing chips. But right now, nothing's worked. Let them come down. I need everyone to stay away from the unprofitable junk, the stalled-out SPACs, the ridiculous IPOs, those silly small coins. And look, I don't even want you in Golem or old Golem. Oh, man, buddy, tonight. HP reported after the bell, and I'm running through the quarter with the company's top brass. Then in the face of volatility, is it time to turn back to maybe the dividend or risk scratch? You know what? Lose less, make more. I'm revealing the names I like. And earlier this month, PepsiCo took a $550 million stake in an energy drink called Celsius, which sounds like it could be a crypto coin. So what does the company see in the growth-focused beverage brand? I'm talking to the CEO of Celsius himself. So stay with Crepe.
2: NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving.
3: As I said at the top of the show, tech has been tough lately. We have to ask, is there any hope at all for the struggling PC market? We've known all year that the computer business would be in totally rough shape because people only need to set up a home office once. Most of these sales uh, are in the past, but there are still widespread belief that the enterprise market will hold up. Unfortunately, we've gotten more and more evidence that enterprise tech spending may be on the wane, too. Tonight, we got the latest data from HP, Inc., which reported a tough quarter. The PC and printing kingpin did miss revenue estimates by a great deal, although its margins came in better than expected, so the earnings were in line. Still, HP's free cash flow was much weaker than anticipated, and they cut their forecast for the full year full fiscal year, and that ends in October. Pretty brutal. So is there anything we can hang our hat on here? Let's check in with the redoubtable Enrique Lourdes, who always gives us the straight shooting because that's all he knows to do. He's president and CEO of HP Inc. we got to get a better read of this quarter. Mr. Lourdes, welcome back to Mad Money.
4: Jim, great to be here. Thank you.
3: Okay, so Enrique, we are used to you. You're coming on in good times and bad times. We are concerned about cash flow, And we are concerned about revenue and forecast. And we want to know whether this is a new reset, so to speak, back to a level where people uh, don't buy as many PCs or whether this is a momentary low.
4: I think, Jim, if we look at the quarter, there were two different parts. On one side, clearly our revenues were impacted by the slowdown of demand, especially on the consumer side. On the other side, when we look at, we were able to control costs very effectively and deliver on our EPS guide, and we were also able to continue to make progress on our strategic growth areas, which is really critical for us because it's the future of the company. If we think about cash flow, it was impacted by the slowdown of revenue. In our business, free cash flow follows net earnings, and when there is a decline quarter-over-quarter quarter on personal systems, since there is a correlation between that. And, and the overall cash flow, this is what impacted cash flow in Q3. But we have raised the forecast that we have for Q4 to versus what we, what we have delivered in Q3.
3: OK, now, we spoke a couple of months ago. It does seem like things have changed so fast. And we know, yes, the home office has been built out. I don't want to be too dire about the enterprise. Is there some slowdown that you see in the enterprise? Or, is, again, is it just temporary?
4: I think the overall situation we we believe is temporary. What we have seen during the quarter is a slowdown of consumer demand that really accelerated as the quarter progressed. And we have also started to see some signs of slowing down on the commercial space. But we don't believe this is driven by the PCs that were bought a year ago. We really think this is driven by the macroeconomic situation that we are facing, but more and more companies being cautious about how to manage budget and really be careful about how many new employees they hire. Now, uh,
3: what does this do, both the uh, cash flow and the revenues? Ha- uh, have to do perhaps with your buyback or because the bottom line was very good, you can continue to be an aggressive buyer of your shares?
4: Well, this quarter we, we bought, well, we returned to shareholders $1.3 billion of, of capital and we bought back $1 billion of share. What we have announced is that for the rest of the year, we plan to exceed the original value capture plan that we had to return to shareholders $16 billion. So we continue to believe HP shares are a good investment, and we will over-deliver on the plan that we had by now, between now and the end of the year.
3: Well, that is very impressive. I've got to tell you, you must have great confidence. Now, How about uh, shortages of components? Have those gotten easier? Is it uh, your raw costs coming down a bit?
4: Compared to a year ago, we are in a much better situation from a supply chain perspective. The amount of components that are missing is significantly lower, and we are executing the plan that we shared a few quarters ago. We continue to make progress. We continue to see some areas where there are shortages. But as time goes, really, the situation is getting closer to normal.
3: And uh, the transaction that you announced on our show, the Apollo one, uh, looks like it's going through without hiccups. Can that be... Uh, spur? Uh, Or are you concerned that some of what they sell has been impacted by the uh, consumer slowdown?
4: We are really excited about the Poly acquisition. We announced yesterday that we had closed the deal. Now we have the team starting to work on all the innovation that we can put together in the acceleration of sales in supply chain that we shared with all of you when we announced the deal. And in terms of impact on our financials, we have also shared that it will be accretive on EPS in 2023, and 2023 starts in November, so it's almost the day after tomorrow. OK, so
3: tell me something. You know I've got two of your PCs. You know, I love the touchscreen. I think it's very, very a great differentiator for PCs. Why do you think more people? Uh, do not realize that not all PCs are the same. Is it because they look at Intel and Microsoft and decide that it really doesn't matter? I find yours as differentiated as any machine I've ever had.
4: Well, really our strategy is all centered on innovation. We think that by understanding the consumer better than anybody else, we can continue to introduce innovation. This is what we have done, and this is what we will continue to do. And this is really what brings, um, what helps us to continue to grow. We had a big reseller event last week, and we shared with them that we believe we have now the best portfolio ever. And just so you know, in the last 18 months, we have introduced more than 100 new products and solutions. So this talks about the ability that we continue to have to innovate, and to continue to bring that to, to customers.
3: And how are the uh, printer gross margins uh, and supplies gross margins? Because I know the prices are still very high. That's your business. I'm not telling you to cut them. But it seems like you've got to be making a lot of money on that part.
4: Well, uh, as you saw from the results, we continue to have strong margins on the, on the print side. In fact, they are above our range. And this is really driven by the, the great management of pricing that we have been doing. We have also got the benefit of the fact that demand was above supply, so clearly we had that, that support. But I think overall, we are really doing a good job, very good job managing pricing.
3: Well, I want to thank you for coming on the show, and I, I have to tell you, of the CEOs we have on, whether it's good or bad or tough or easy, you explain everything. And that gives the people who watch Man Money a terrific break. I want to thank Enrique Lores, President and CEO of HP Inc. I wish everybody were like you, Enrique. Everybody would know a lot more about companies if you if you were. Thank you. Very good. Thank you very much, Man Money's Back after the break.
2: Coming up, an aristocrat that actually shares the wealth. Kramer's got a list of dividend darlings you can't afford to miss. Next.
0: at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: After the third rough day in a row... So, 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 so. Ah! It's worth asking, what changed last Friday when Fed Chief Jay Powell delivered his eight-minute statement at Jackson Hole? We know what's freaking it's freaking out Wall Street. It's because he said his efforts to control inflation would, and I quote, bring some pain, the house of
2: pain. to
3: households and businesses. Well, he sure has been right about that. Nobody wants to hear that the Federal Reserve is bringing the pain, but I got to tell you, I don't think anything really has changed with this comment, except some money managers who had gotten too bullish were caught with their pants down and had to quickly readjust, and the gamblers are being driven out of the casino en mass. <laughs> they know nothing! If you thought Powell was ready to more or less declare victory over inflation, I think you got a rude awakening. I mean, a total eye-opener, because this economy is getting its, well, let's just say, let's get visible, it's getting its bell rung, as he basically said it would have to be rung, if we were going to be able to somehow stop runaway wage inflation, which is the real deal right now, the real culprit. So if the Fed's going to keep on doing what it's been doing, what do we do? I recommend falling back on the same strategy that I started pushing at the very beginning of the year. You want, to, you, you, you want to camp out in the dividend aristocrat section, the companies that have consistently raised their payouts for at least 25 years. It keeps you one step away of the sell posse. There are 64 of these dividend aristocrats, the S&P 500, and on the very first trading day of the year, we highlighted 36 of them. That's why before we circle the wagons around this group, we need to hold ourselves accountable and see how these dividend aristocrats are doing. As of tonight's close, the aristocrats in the s 500 were down roughly 9% for the year-on-average. Okay, not great. But it's much better than more than 16% decline in the S&P as a whole. Hey, to say nothing of the 24% decline in the NASDAQ. No, no, no. Remember, sometimes the goal is just to lose less until better times occur. And they
1: always <laughs> do.
3: When you drill down to the 36-dividend aristocrats that I specifically recommended in January, one of them got acquired. The other 35 are down just 4.2% on average, and that's without factoring their dividend payments, which, you know, are actually bountiful. More importantly, though, how did these stocks do from January 3rd through the bottom of June 16th? Remember, the whole point of owning the dividend aristocrats is that they can try to protect you from the ugliness of the bear (laughs) on the way down. That's important given the fact that j is committed to bringing the pain. During this difficult period for the market, our favorite 35-dividend aristocrats were down 10%. Again, I know, not great. But the S&P was down 23% over the same period. The Nasdaq lost nearly a third of its value. If you think the rest of the year will look more like the tough first half than the last couple of months, which is reasonable given Powell's comments, although I am more bullish, then it's not too late to swap out of the faster-growing tech stocks and take shelter in the dividend aristocrats again. By the way, when I say faster-growing tech stocks, I'm talking about stocks that are losing money. I am not focused on tech stocks that are making money as sales. Those, I think, work. But I'm not satisfied with merely outperforming a bad market. I want to help you try to make money, which is why this time we're being more selective. Let me give you my top 10 dividend aristocrats for the final four months of the year. Now, we're going to start with one I rarely talk about. It's called Archer Daniels Midlands, ADM. Uh, That's one of the top agricultural plays out there. They sell seeds and also process all sorts of crops. This thing's up nearly 30% for the year, although it's pulled back more than 10 bucks from its highs in April, as commodity prices lately have collapsed. But i got to tell you, I'm not betting against the commodity prices too much if they come down a lot. Uh, Crop prices have begun rebounding from the lows, and the ag stocks are moving higher again. Remember, I just did that piece on, on how the ag bull market last week, I like Archer Daniels as a play on supply chain disruptions. Remember, Ukraine accounts for 13% of the world's calories, and their business has been cut in half. Plus, ADM trades at less than 13 times earnings with a nearly 2% yield. Conservative, decent stock. Now, here's one that really intrigues me, given what's happened in Europe. General Dynamics, the defense contractor. Every time we send weapons to Ukraine, they come from our stockpiles, which eventually need to be replenished. At the same time, every government in Eastern Europe suddenly wants to be armed to the teeth to defend against a newly aggressive Russia, which, by the way, we're treating as if it's a sanctuary Russia. You can't attack them. I like the whole sector, but General Dynamics is the only dividend aristocrat in it, and they just announced a $1.1 billion deal to sell Abrams tanks to Poland last week. Unfortunately, they also have a business jet division that will no doubt get hit if we have a nasty recession. But that doesn't stop the stock from rallying 11 percent this year, aided by a very hands-on management that knows what's needed in a less secure world. Again, 19 times earnings, 2.2% yield. I like it here. Third is one that we've been bullpenning, think it's river for, uh, for the portfolio or the charitable trust, and that's Coca-Cola textbook defensive stock, right? I mean, exactly what you want to own in a recession, where commodity prices have come down substantially from their highs. Coke protects your portfolio with a 2.8% yield. And at the same time, they've got some exciting growth initiatives. Topo Chico hard seltzer. I've got a ton of that in my refrigerator. Jack and Coke in a can. That's in Mexico coming here. By the way, can I just say I've tasted them all. Jack and Coke Zero is a complete winner. The stock's been flat for the last couple of months. Don't worry, not the soda, just the stock. But now that the feds reminded us they mean business, I think it's time for Coke to shine again. Fourth is Hormel. You know I've had them on a bunch of times. That's the packaged food company buying Spam, Jenny O, uh, Applegate Farms, Skippy Peanut Butter, and then another classic defensive, Hormel just bought that planter's peanuts from Kraft Heinz. You know I love that deal. Uh, it's very, very smart, and Kraft Heinz needed the money. I think the maker of spam is a good trade-down play, too, plus it's almost time for pumpkin spice, spam season. My mom would have served us this in spades. Literally. Fifth, McDonald's, this is another trade-down play Quality food and affordable price. Uh, the stock's been mostly range-bound for the year, partially hampered by cost inflation in the strong dollar, and, of course some labor issues. But ugh, those problems have, I think, well, with the exception of labor peaked. I think McDonald's can resume its long march higher real soon. Gives you a 2.2% yield. I'm putting this, of all these stocks, I think it's the perfect bounce-back candidate. Sixth, there's Chuck, perhaps my favorite insurance company, where I am a decent client, if I say so myself. This stock has had a fabulous rally in the first quarter because higher interest rates mean they can make more money taking your premiums in, right? Them investing in treasuries risk-free, and the price of charity, they get they make a great yield on treasuries. Chubb has pulled back from its highs uh, because the market, because interest rates peaked in June, but that could change again. With the Fed bringing the pain, I think rates will head higher, and that means Chubb's going to be along for the ride. By the way, the financials have been acting better than almost all the other stocks for precisely that reason. Seven of the old favorite federal realty, the Real Estate Investment Trust. It mostly owns mixed-use suburban properties, housing, offices, retail, all of which have high occupancy rates here. I think suburban real estate will be the most resilient as we head into a recession because so many people fled the cities for the suburbs at the height of the pandemic. Plus, federal realty has great leadership with the terrific Don Woods. Don, by the way, CEO, he gives you a 4.2% yield, and he gave you a dividend boost in the 2000s. One of the great moments, if you go back a conference call, a couple of conference calls ago, where the analysts were openly, they were rebelling against this man. And he was putting through a a dividend increase. He's got guts and he's got smarts. Number eight is Realty Income Corporation. I recently profiled that. It's another REIT that owns commercial properties. Stock's been punished lately because most retail's been struggling. But. These guys have done; they've done tons of consistent clients. They've got that they've done their work with drugstores, supermarkets, dollar stores, convenience stores. Best of all, real income pays you a monthly dividend. Oh my! If I were, if I were to not have a job, I would have as much, much monthly dividend payments as I could get. It yields four point three percent. Can you Imagine getting a check in the mail, and it's just like it makes up for all the bills you get in the mail. Kinda. All right. Ninth is Lindy. I know it looks like Lin, Lindy, the industrial gas distributor we own for the charitable trust, although we sold some of a couple weeks ago when the stock was at 25 bucks higher. This is a tough moment for cyclical companies like Lindy, but I think it's got a great long-term story and the stock's worth buying the weakness. doesn't hurt that their hydrogen biz, uh, business could get a boost from the Inflation Reduction Act. Finally, please don't forget Caterpillar, now down nearly 50, 50 points from its peaks in April, including a $4.84% decline today. I get why cats now hate it. The hedge fund playbook says you need to sell this kind of machinery play going to recession. But man, cats should get a huge boost from recent leg- legislation. And with the stock down at 15 times earnings, I'm betting Wall Street's just gotten too negative on Caterpillar. You betcha. Bye, bye, bye! Here's the bottom line. When the Fed brings the pain...
2: The House of Pain.
3: And the market gets pummeled. You should take shelter in the dividend risk because their payouts protect you. Now you got 10 of my favorites designed to lose less and then to make more when times get better. How about we go to Nick in Georgia? Nick!
4: Hey, hey, you doing, Jim? Uh, this is Nick now in Georgia listening to the banjo music, but I used to live in New York and um, retired down here,
3: so... I just was calling about LRCX, Lamb Research. I don't really understand the stock because everything about the stock is so positive. Everything everybody says about it, the numbers, everything just says to buy 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 and then it's behaving
1: worse than colds and it's behaving worse than it, the worst stock to see on the market. What is going on? Is this a buy, all right, so Tim, sell let, a me, let me
3: let me let no, me let me explain it. First of all you're absolutely right. Lamb is fantastic. Tim Marcher is amazing. We love the predecessor company, no, Bellus. Here's the issue. When you have the CEO of Micron coming on TV, my interviewing him, Sanjay Marotra, and they're talking about cutting back on equipment in order to be able to get rid of the glut what they are cutting back on is lamb research machines. I agree with you. I think over the long term, lamb is a great place to be. But understand right now, you are going to be in
2: the house of pain.
3: Until this moment is over. Now, I just gave you what, my 10 favorite uh, dividend aristocrat stocks that you should take shelter in when the market gets pummeled. Remember, we want to make, we want to lose less and then make more. Much more mad money, in, including my exclusive with Celsius. Could the energy drink company bring a jolt of energy to your portfolio? I'm checking with the CEO. And Best Buy reported a very strong quarter this morning. So what is the tech retailer's competitive advantage? I'm going to give you my take. And all your calls rapid fire is the nice of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. And a crummy year for the overall market <laughs> and you know it's been terrible you can still find some fabulous individual winners take celsius holdings the fairly new energy drink company that's caught fire as of late, with the stock this swerved relentlessly higher. It is going from the mid-50s in June to 104 today. Now, you know we've checked in with these guys before. First in October of 2020, when the stock was in the low 20s, and we liked it. Then again in March of last year, when it was in the high 40s. Each time I said the story's good, but I I was worried that the stock had gotten ahead of itself. Turns out, I didn't have enough imagination, and that's what keeps a good investor back lack of imagination. Celsius keeps putting up tremendous numbers, including a blowout quarter earlier this month, triple-digit revenue growth, plus they recently announced a new long-term distribution agreement with one of my absolute favorite companies, PepsiCo, which is now an investor, too. So, can the thing keep climbing? Let's check up with, well, with the redoubtable, I like that word today, John Fieldley. He's the chairman and CEO of Celsius Holdings to get a better sense of where his company's headed. Mr. Fieldley, welcome back to Mad Money. Glad to be here, Jim. Okay, so I've got to tell you something, John. When I first met you, I said, all right, I don't know. This could be. We don't know where this way is going to go. I want you to tell young entrepreneurs out there how you went from being small to large to then getting a steak from PepsiCo, which I think is the greatest other than Coca-Cola drink company
1: in the world. It's a, a massive opportunity for every entrepreneur out there. I think today's environment with social media, you can reach more consumers than ever before. Um, you know, it's a lot of hard work. We got a great team. It's all about the team. We work hard every day. We got a great product. Uh, the product's amazing. And it's one day at a time. You just got to do, make that day a little bit better than when you started. Well, you know, Each and every day, it's an entrepreneur's word. Yeah, so I'm glad you mentioned the social media. A static quarter
3: eye was that on Amazon, you continue to maintain the second largest energy drink spot, 22.6% share. Is that just built up by being clever and getting your name everywhere?
1: No, that's not. That's building a daily consumer. Um, Selling over $20, you know, 12 packs of Celsius to consumers that actually have to buy it, take it home, chill it, and drink it as part of a daily lifestyle or daily routine. When you're building a consumer product a portfolio. It's all about getting into that daily consumer's life. And that's what we do with Celsius. That's validated with Amazon. That's recurring revenue to us. Uh, And fans love us. We're growing. We're the number two energy drink right now on Amazon uh, at the end of the second quarter. So really excited. All right. So talk about the
3: stake that Raymond LaGuardia, uh, the great CEO of PepsiCo, arranged with you. What does it mean for shareholders? What does it mean for your growth?
1: And they invested over 8%. We have a $550 million investment in us. Uh, if you look at the second quarter, we were the number one brand driver in the energy drink category. We Our growth contributed over 34% of the category growth. This is going to open us up to massive opportunities. What's interesting with Celsius is our broad distribution. When you look at the consumers that consume Celsius, It's 50-50 male, female, and 18 to 24, all the way up to 50, 60 and plus. Everyone wants a healthy, better for you product. And with this opportunity, it's going to open us up to universities, bring us into food service. What's interesting, Jim, when you look at traditional energy drink consumption, it's not really consumed with food. What we're seeing with Celsius, because of our great flavor innovation, we're seeing consumers drink Celsius with lunch and at their meals, which is interesting and a new usage occasion in the energy category. And this partnership is going to bring us to a massive amount of food service restaurants uh, and opportunities for us going forward. So we're really excited.
3: Now, uh, also, of course, the traditional, we think you drink Celsius before the workout and you drink Gatorade after. I mean, that's
1: a natural combination too, true? Yeah, it is true. Absolutely. That's a great combination. You know, we're all about living fit. We bring essential energy for life inside, outside the gym, picking your kids up after school, getting ready for your next meeting or getting getting through the day.
3: Now, how about uh, refrigeration? How about the notion of those? great branded refrigerators that were so great for rockstar monster did it too i mean you know you go into a, a convenience store and you want to see celsius you don't want it to just be in the rack there with all those other really weird things like those ipas that taste like cheerios
1: <laughs> that's the name of the game you know it's something in the set in the beverage industry If you have a great product you stack it high and watch it fly and the other thing is, if it's cold, it's sold. And that's right with Celsius. We need to get Celsius in more coolers. And that's a major initiative with the Pepsi relationship. Is it gonna, it's going to bring us to broad coolers, front checkouts around the country. And we'll be able to compete with those larger brands in the category now. And by, we'll be able to imp- compete in that impulse purchase, which is roughly about 70% of the category, which is really untapped for us.
3: Well, now speaking of untapped, I mean, when I go uh, overseas, Uh, they're they're crazy for energy drinks over there. I don't think people realize in Europe, I mean, they just love them. They want more caffeine. They want more anything. But I don't see you there when I go. Is that going to change?
1: That's a big opportunity as well. We are in Sweden and in the Nordics. We're in a few countries, but very early stage in those countries. This partnership has the opportunity to bring us over 100 countries. So, um, you know, you're going to see, you know, the same health and wellness trends we have in the U.S., You're absolutely right. Those are global trends. We all want more caffeine. We want more energy Uh, and we want better for you energy. We want healthy energy. We want that essential energy. And that's what Celsius delivers. So you'll be seeing us in more countries around the world for sure.
3: All right. One last thing we got to go into. I'm trying to understand how you guys jive with Rockstar Energy. Now, if I have Rockstar, I don't go to bed till Friday, so I got to be careful. But I mean, where do you guys I mean, you know, there's a PepsiCo is a big company. You want to get the CEO's attention. You want the money. But I'm sure Rockstar does, too.
1: Well, what it does is this gives Pepsi a great portfolio to play in energy. So Celsius would be one of the leading fitness lifestyle brands in, the, in their portfolio, really be a front runner for them, too. So I think it's a great combination, Jim. We got the distribution agreement, plus they have skin in the game with a sizable investment.
3: I have done. you know, when you started, when you first came with the show, there are a bunch of, I don't speak to short sellers, but I watch my Twitter feed. Most of the people who are mentioners are very kind, but there are a few people that are on a permanent intellectual vacation. And there were people who told me, oh, Kramer's got Celsius, so they don't, he doesn't understand. It's just, a, it's a, the greatest short ever. It's just. A, didn't people understand that you could not stop you? I mean, you are kind of an unstoppable force when it comes to business.
1: We are unstoppable. The brand's great. The brand's on fire. Consumers are really resonating with the portfolio. That we have the great flavor. We launched two new flavors this summer, and you look at that second quarter results that you mentioned one hundred fifty four million, another record quarter. That was all driven by store expansion, better distribution, more consumers consuming the product, and our flavor innovation is top notch, best in the category. We feel we launched the strawberry lemonade for summer. That is so refreshing. Get out there and try it, Jim. I think we sent some to you guys in the room. I think you said pre-call. They already consumed it. So yeah, we're going to well, have to get you some more. already they,
3: they didn't understand that it was a prop. And they just, I'm looking at a guy right now I work closely with who drank all of them. I, you know, he left me, left me with one and he's got the cans all over the place. I don't want the cans. I mean, this is like the movie The Jerk. I want the actual stuff. John Fieldley, Chairman, President, CEO of Celsius Holdings. Way to go. You always deliver. Great to see you, sir.
2: David,
3: great to see you. Thank you. Thank have- you. All right. It's cliche, but winners do win.
2: may have back there. For yeah. the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast-fire lightning round next.
3: It is time to Play this out. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski! That is time for the light round, Crimson Blood. us start with, let's go to Hank in Texas.
2: Hank! Hey, Big Corpus Christi Booyah to the doctor of law and chill. Dr.
1: Kramer, how are you?
3: Man, I love you. You are in oil and gas country, making a lot of money for our country. and saving us security-wise. What's going on?
1: Well, I'm thinking energy in another way. I'm considering a small, long, and a tiny $1.3 billion company. I think they could surprise on earnings. How do you feel about life cycle? L I C Too dangerous, too risky.
3: Not the right thing for this environment. we got to be more careful. Let's go to Jay in Washington. Jay. Hi, Jim. What do you think of systems? Simple, uh, EPAM Systems? Ticker simple, E-P-A-M. Very fast grower profitable. I like them. They must come on the show because they are living, they are right next to where I live. Okay, I need to go to Brendan, North Carolina. Ignoring the buzzer. Brenda. Good evening, Jim. Thank you so much for letting me be on your show. Oh, you're quite welcome. I need some advice on at and T. I'll give it to you. sell, so, Brian in Florida. Brian. Brian. Yes. You're up, Brian. Booyah, Kramer. Booyah. Long-time viewer, first-time caller. I'm calling about Compass Pathway, CMPS. Uh, no. Too dangerous, too risky. Not what we want right now. It's the pharmaceutical company that is too dangerous. Recession-resistant depression is very difficult. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the... <laughs> 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 Lightning
2: <laughs> <Round>! <laughs> the Lightning Round is sponsored by TDM Ameritrade. Coming up, simply the best... Find out why Best Buy might be a better buy than ever. Next.
3: Who the heck would want to be on the hook for Best Buy in this environment? CEO Corey Barry is an incredibly thankless task, taking care of an electronics retail that's been written off so many times. I'm always shocked when I go there and see the stores are alive and kicking. Today, though, Best Buy reported a strong quarter versus Wall Street's expectations, and his stock managed to rally despite a hideous tape. Of course, expectations are relative. Best Buy lowered the bar when they pre-announced weaker numbers late last month. But the stock's up nicely since then, which makes me believe it's bottom. See, Barry's done a very good job with a very bad hand. You know how tough it is to run a hard goods store in the age of Amazon with COVID receding and the Fed pushing us into a recession? Make no mistake, Best Buy is in a difficult spot. They had sell, same-store sales down 12% for heaven's sake. So how the heck did the stock rally? Some would say it's because the stock sells for 12 times earnings, very cheap versus the rest of the market. Others might point to the sky-high 4.7% yield. Still, others might highlight that their fast-growing digital division digital division, uh, as, as online sales now account for 30% of their total, meaning Best Buy's digital division is holding its own against Amazon. I agree with that. Those all matter. But the main positive here is that Best Buy's inventory was down 6% year over year. Down! And a moment achievers a lot less eager to spend. A 6% decline in inventory is an incredible achievement. It means Best Buy likely won't need to slash prices for its hardest. Something that would wreck the earnings. Remember, so many other retailers ended up with inventory gluts right now uh, because they couldn't cope with messed up global supply chains and a fickle consumer. You had a ton of double ordering to offset Chinese COVID lockdowns and the West Coast port jam up. But just when that stuff really finally came in, people didn't want it anymore. Best Buy didn't make that mistake. They had great supply chain coordination. First, nonstop innovation helps. She's always monitoring customer behavior. She's also developed a terrific IT assistance and installation system like the Geek Squad that's become a necessity for the work from home crowd. And in what may have been a real stroke of genius, she's pioneered a health business that includes the sale of hearing aids. One of the most expensive devices is rarely covered by insurance. These products need to be tried on in person, which makes them Amazon-proof. Plus, Barry's pairing that with what she describes as an Active aging business that offers health and safety solutions that make for easier seniors, easy make it easier for senior citizens to live on their own. Hey, signups for the program are very strong. I point all of this out because these days running a retailer has almost nothing to do with selling traditional goods on the floor with salespeople walking around in blue shirts, either avoiding eye contact or trying to jam some expensive insurance warranty policy down your throat. It's about coming up with new ways to lure people into stores and get them to buy a bigger basket. And most importantly, it's about making them like going to the store at all. Barry's doing it at Best Buy, where she's pulling off the mother of all juggling acts. She's what makes the stock a buy. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. The news
2: with Shepard Smith starts now.